Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Frank. And we are here to rock this shit today, my friends. This is going to be a, a delicious episode for you. Um, today, we're talking Dr. No. Dr. No. We're, we're going all the way back to the beginning. It it feels like the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? It like, really it, does. It, it's also... I don't know. I had a great time watching this movie. It was really um, super pleasant to do. And I, it, it also, to me, felt a little bit like watching an old movie. You know, like when you watch Wizard of Oz or when you watch, um, you know, Street Streetcar Named Desire or Little Shop of Horrors. No, that's not a good example. <laughs> but like, you know, other old movies that are, uh, you know, have that yeah. good old film quality. And, and this one definitely has that, right? I, this is an iconic movie. Yeah, and like it's funny because you know the, our our watch order makes us jump around so much, and it, sometimes it's like a little jarring to go from one to another. But it's like to go from eighty what five to sixty three, sixty two, sixty two. Like it feels like a big jump, and like it even feels like we only watched Live and Let Die kind of like a month ago, maybe two months ago, whatever it is, but there's still a, a departure between the styles of those two films and it's, they're not even that far apart. Oh, they're hugely different. And the way that, uh, this movie is iconography, you know what I mean? It almost yeah. feels like a museum to James Bond. It's like, you're watching a historical, you know, uh, piece on this thing that we love. Uh, but at the same time, I think where, why this movie is iconic and why, you know, James Bond became the franchise that it is today is that this movie is is really fun to watch, (laughs) you know, like like you're immediately drawn in from the beginning. Uh, You know, the opening sequence is, you know, it's it's iconography. And I think that something that I didn't really understand maybe until watching it and thinking about it this time is that Sean Connery is an icon of James Bond in a way that, like, Lazenby and Dalton will never be. Yeah. The other guys, like, yes, they did, that. They did you know, many more movies, but uh, the iconography element of it and the way that it permeated pop culture forever in different directions, fashion, music, action movies, and film, um, it, it, it goes a little bit beyond, and I'm so glad that, like, I mean, just the introduction of Sean. Ooh, I mean, the it builds, it builds, it builds, right? For so long, like the this movie sets up so much of what we in pop culture come to know of as James Bond, right? Like it's got so many of those iconic moments, those lines, the 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 fashion, like you said, um, it's just all there, except for like maybe one thing, but we'll get to it. Yeah. And, and um but yeah, it, it, it I feel like and maybe I've never read the books, but I feel like this is like taking what was in the books, the descriptions and all the all the, the things that make Bond the character that was like we need to make movies of this guy and they put it on screen. Well, it's not that they need to make movies of this guy. They they built a financial empire out of him (laughs) you know like and and so much of that that we have to talk about in this episode is going to break into the full 
propensity of Bond's influence in the world and and our love for it. Like think about think about this also. Like when we're born, right? The the year of the year of our birth. All right, we've experienced one, two, three different bonds, right? Yeah, and none of them ever did as many movies as Moore or Connery ever did, right? Correct. That the, like in being with Roger Moore for so long, we grew to love him in a way that's like um, respectful of what he did. You know what I mean? In going in different directions, in having a lighter tone. In not wearing the fitted suits, in ordering bourbon and drinking, smoking the cigars, not smoking the cigarettes, yeah, being a little bit nicer to women towards the end, you know, <laughs> like it was, it was an evolution, but it also was his own version. You know what I mean? It like, was a conscious choice. It was like we we want it to be different and feel different. You are a different actor. You shouldn't pretend to be Sean Connery. But for but the main thing I'm getting at here is that Sean Connery is. Everybody is taking something from him or something away from him to yep. do what they're going to do. He's the originator of the role. And uh, when he's cast in this, uh, he's not an action star at this point, mm. right? He is very much, you know, doing comedies. He's doing other kinds of films. They actually were looking at doing Roger Moore to originate the franchise. Think about that. If, the, if Roger Moore had done Dr. No, it's a totally different movie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if they did that, like it, he may have resonated, but maybe it wouldn't have been the same. Like, like maybe the charm of having Roger Moore is because it's different and because we had Sean Connery's take um, that, like, maybe the franchise wouldn't have been as successful uh, without such a strong start. I don't know. Well, uh, I think what we can really owe a lot to it, and we're going to get into this further, is Terrence Young. Mm -hmm. And Terrence Young is the director of this movie. He directs a couple of the other James Bond movies. And his, uh, from from what I had learned from watching some of the documentaries, special features we'll talk about more, he really informed a lot of Sean Connery's acting style. And even Connery on the special features is like, I would not be the actor I was today without this guy, who was and personified James Bond's point of view on set. You know what I mean? He yeah. got James's motivation. He got where this was coming from to inform a young, beautiful Sean Connery, this is what you got to do. And that to me is like the trivia in this movie is beautiful. And we'll get to that soon. Um, but before we get into spoilers and pre-production stuff and kind of bore you guys with, you know, the amount of stuff I watched this past weekend, <laughs> uh, we, we got to pay a little tribute. And something that we uh, hate to do on this podcast because we try to keep this an escape from all the shit that you can go and find on your phone. We want to be a corner of the internet that is super positive. Uh, Diana Rigg uh, passed away um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, the British Avengers, not our Marvel's Avengers, but right. the different Avengers altogether. Uh, and Lady Elena. You know, she's appeared on this podcast before. She, um, <laughs> she wasn't a guest, but we have talked about her. Yes. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Imagine. That would have been a great get. Good um, get. But yeah, it's it. Yeah. The fact that we were talking about her several years before we even thought we would go in this deep um, on James Bond. And I had never seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So I, I didn't even really know until we were like preparing for this. 
like how how much of an iconic role she had in in the franchise. I mean, like obviously in the movie itself, but her presence is felt throughout so many movies afterwards. I mean, spoilers for that, but she's Tracy Bond and or I, I think that she becomes Tracy Bond. Yes. Because they get married and ultimately by the end of the movie she dies and like that weighs on the character for for movies to come after that and and it's it is really sad to see her go um she lives a very long life um which you know that that's great but she was only on our screens on tv only a few years ago which is crazy well not just like she's iconic man like like uh, again like icon like queen of fucking thorns man that's the fucking shit uh also this movie is beloved that's something that I didn't think about when we really watched on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but I learned kind of after that people like adore on Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's almost like a cult Bond movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like if you were at a certain age and this movie came out, like that's going to be your motherfucking favorite. Sure. I mean, and like there's got to be something like, ugh, I'm so tired of Sean Connery. They keep putting out these movies with the same guy, and it's like, oh, a new guy. Like, yeah, let's let's try it. Let's see what's different. And sometimes, like, that's what sticks with people, right? Like That, but I also think it could be her. I think it's yeah. the fact that she was a, a, the first real, I would say, leading woman to have a proactive role in a, in a Bond movie that it wasn't just, you know, the Bond girl as we've come to define her in our rating system. Like, she was like a she was almost a equal to bond in certain ways and a consideration in that she had uh you know equal um advocacy in this movie to be her own person you know what yeah. i mean and uh when you fast forward through her career of being this action star in 60s british tv to being like the ultimate motherfucking badass like killing uh you know cersei's uh daughter like cersei's son like on motherfucking purpose and telling them like i did this i wanted to know it was me like that is so badass that she was always badass yeah like she was never not badass she didn't have a merit she wasn't mary poppins she didn't have like some (laughs) other bullshit roles like she is known for her badassery and like and that is worthy of note to us and uh rest in peace rest in power as they say now um uh diana riggs who diana rigg who is uh, you know one of the most beloved bond women of all time as well as a amazing actress i think she was a dame right uh yes uh dame i love i love that you're yes ending me like to me that's like well i had had to just pick up my phone (laughs) because i had her up (laughs) (laughs) and she is a dame yes but i mean dame right yeah pretty awesome um so yes she will be missed. Um, uh, the fans are going to love this episode. This is this is peak our shit right now. Okay. <laughs> so briefly before we get into anything else, I mean, the Mandalorian trailer. You loved it, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, okay. It's I, beautiful. I was so mad because I was like sitting in this two-hour-long meeting in the morning, and I'm like, oh, we're, and we're like working, working through it, and I just opened my phone real quick. I was like, I, I just, I can't. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> the goddamn Star Wars Mandalorian trailer dropped. And 
I mentioned it to my colleague who was like, we're all working together. And he's like, okay, hold on. I'm going to go watch it. I was like, wait a second. I, I feel weird watching it right now. I want to focus. I want to put it on my TV. I don't want to do this small screen shit. So I waited, but it was worth it. Um, I mean, the planet in the in the opening sequences, the opening scene is magnificent. That yeah. is delicious, chewable yumminess. Like that is a Star Wars planet. That's a Star Wars scene. That's how you start a Star Wars by putting a planet and then a ship that comes from off screen in, into focus. Yeah, it, I, I'm so excited for Star Wars boats. <laughs> Star Wars boats look dope as fuck. With the what are those guys called? The Quarren. Oh, the Quarren are, are tight as hell, man. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be fucking great. Uh, listen, I was I'm way into this trailer. Uh, I have not watched it for a third time. I watched it twice Same. straight back to back. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm in. Tune in for our coverage of the Mandalorian, which we will absolutely be motherfucking covering. We will. Um, Maybe we should should we we maybe we have to do you watched all the documentary on Disney Plus, right? I did, I did. I loved it. All right. Let's do like a we'll do like a half C some kind of episode before that. We'll do a Mandalorian uh, prep episode. Maybe because this this trailer was great in that it didn't give up give away too much. They're and so good. They're really good. And so we'll have to see if the next trailer because there'll probably be one maybe like a few weeks out, uh if it gives away too much, maybe you won't cover it. But if it's like in that sweet spot, that would be the perfect thing to talk about and talk about all the back background stuff. Because I feel like I, and then I went and rewatched The Mandalorian the full season this summer after watching the documentary. And so like doing that, I was looking for new things and it was really, really cool. I'm really excited. Um, I just think that they're holding back perfectly, and I can't wait to see what they do. I mean, I tweeted this, but th this time last year, we had no knowledge of Yodi. We had no knowledge <laughs> what Baby Yoda was going to become. A phenomenon. A phenomenon. An icon of an icon of pop culture. Like, and the fact that they kept it secret, and and they're, that they're teasing the Jedi in in this new trailer. I mean, the things we're going to get, like the permission that they have, and. I also love, and this is going to sound, you know, maybe bad to our prequel hater fans. Uh, I love that Lucas is like has been on set for this shit. Did you see the article about uh, Lucas on set with Favreau and Filoni this past week, where yeah. like Lucas is like advising Filoni and he's super nervous, but like again, faster and more intense. But <laughs> like he he likes it, you know, he's there and I think it's want, a key. I think he you, needs to you be need involved. Papa there. Yeah. You need Papa there. And and he and he needs to look at what they're doing and and oversee the arcs. Like again, we could go into this for hours, but oh my God. I loved it. You loved it. We're so excited. Tune in for Mandalorian season two coming to Disney Plus October thirtieth. Lost Long Lost Heroes podcast coverage to follow apps of motherfucking lootly after every episode. Uh, so yeah, let's get back into uh, James Bond and Doctor No and spoiler territory because I, I want to tell you this now that of the James Bond movies we watched, I've been looking forward to Doctor No maybe the most. I remember watching it completely full through maybe one time as a child. And I was so looking forward to watching it again and doing it for this podcast. And I cannot say how fun it was to watch. So if you have not watched it, please go rent it. We are sorry. It is no longer on Amazon Prime. It is not on Netflix. 
uh, it maybe in your country, but it's not on Netflix here yeah. in the United you, States. You could probably you know pay the three dollars to rent it or something, and that's totally yeah. worth it. Like also the DVD box set. The DVD box set is motherfucking excellent. It's gonna run you over a hundred bucks. I'm sorry about that, yeah. but the but reality it's an investment. of <laughs> yeah, like. Think about this. Like, you think they're going to be making better quality discs other than 4K in the future, like 8K, 16K uh, discs that you're going to be able to hang on to? Like, no, it's all going to be motherfucking files. And then when the goddamn apocalypse hits and the shit all goes to shit, you're not going to have put a DVD player and the DVDs that you love and really care about in a lead box so that they survive an EMP because you're not thinking about that. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is what you need to be thinking about. So, Go get yourself a lead line box, all right, very available. Put your DVDs in a portable DVD player in there because a portable DVD or a portable Blu-ray player can export to a, a, a screen with an HDMI cable, most of them, and just put this away for yourself so you have movies. In this box, I'm going to have Seinfeld, the complete series. I'm going to have this James Bond box set. I'm going to have all my Marvel movies in a goddamn CD case, and I'm going to be able to be like, all right, these movies are gonna. I'm gonna also. I'm gonna have Star Wars. Absolutely, I'm gonna have Star Wars. That's one, a given. One through six. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see how I feel. Maybe it'll be like one through six, eight, and Solo. And that's it. No, also Rogue, Rogue One. one is, I'm gonna have Rogue great. One too. I'm not gonna have. I'm probably not gonna keep nine. Well, the, the the thing that sucks though, like back to the Mandalorian for a second, is like, have they released that on Blu-ray or is it only on Disney Plus? Oh shit! Like, no, they have not released it on Blu-ray that's gonna it's not gonna survive <laughs> oh shit um we can't make disney more money all right we've already made them so much money by talking about all their shit on the podcast all the goddamn time and we're gonna make them some more money right now because this is a podcast ad for my goddamn self this is my personal code for roosevelt's that you guys have to use roosevelt's tomorrow is dropping a new shirt okay and if you want to get this shirt visit B-I-T dot L-Y slash two F-M-E-R-G-L. Again, B-I-T dot L-Y slash two F-M-E-R-G-L. And you will get yourself a $10 discount on the Roosevelt's line of shirts that that goes to me. It doesn't I'm sorry it doesn't go to Frank, but like if you if you do it, you get ten dollars off your shirt, I get ten dollars towards a new shirt. And these are the best shirts in the world. They're made in Hoboken. Go get your shirts. Um, okay. Uh, let's get into goddamn Dr. No. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. So so I watched over the past weekend um, Ian Fleming's uh, documentary on Amazon Prime, which is on Amazon Prime. Check this right. out. Right, I saw that. Okay, you got to go watch it, man. It's great. It's not even. An, it's not even an hour and a half. It's it's fifty two minutes. You're gonna love it. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to learn more about what Ian Fleming was doing. Ian Fleming is a very interesting dude. He is the author of the James Bond books, right? He informs all of what James Bond is. How did he get to do this? Okay. So Ian Fleming is born on uh, the southern east, the southern, excuse me, southern eastern tip of the Isle of uh, Britain, um, which is on the coast of Dover. And he lives there. He's got an older brother. Um, he loved his older brother. He adored his older brother. His older brother ends up going into 
espionage and spy stuff through the army in World War II. Ian Fleming follows him along. Now, why that's important is that Ian Fleming during World War II, about six years, 1939 to 1945, he is working underneath as a personal advisor to Navy intel- British Navy intelligence. And he's responsible for kind of managing and advising um, covert ops units of soldiers that were taking what the Nazis were doing and kind of like upping it up a little bit in that they were actually some deep undercover and some not. And with that, he organized also a separate group of like commando guys. Like it's interesting that when we watch a lot of the later Bond movies or Roger Moore movies, he's always got like commando expendable dudes that are running around with him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, These are an invention of Ian Fleming that he would have these like special, you know, ops guys who, go in, you know, who are super hardened, super badass, and they'll show up and support, you know, espionage efforts. Uh, And it's regarded, you know, um, that Ian Fleming looks at this part of his life as, like, the absolute best. But this wasn't, like, the full Ian Fleming story. He actually, um, he was from, like, kind of a well-to-do family. He uh, flunked out of university. When he flunked out of university, he tried to go into the army. He didn't make it and uh ended up like becoming like more of a desk job kind of guy after he went to a uh a swedish retreat in the alps where he like learned how like sounds familiar (laughs) yeah right (laughs) where like he went and like learned about um hunting and fishing and like being outside being an outdoorsman um doing and really skiing also And he kind of established, like, discipline and, like, understood, like, things about life from there. It it, To me, it sounded like his father probably just wasn't a very, like, attentive, understanding dude. Um, So at that point, like, he didn't have the direction. And I think his father died when he was younger. Mm. Uh, And then after that, he goes on and, you know, he then is able, you know, with World War II and how Britain was involved during World War II, which is that – you know, uh, Germany is conquered France, right? Like, and they are literally shooting bombs, rockets, V2 rockets from France and Germany into Britain. And the Blitz is like crazy. It's, we can't even imagine what the Blitz was really like, right? Like, it's no. the last stop of Western civilization in Europe. And this is what he's being like an advisor to, and he's involved in intelligence. And he goes on to say that about. 90% of what we see in the Bond books, you know, comes straight out of that. That, like... It's just, like... The thing to me that blows my mind still to this day, like, as a child, when you're like, oh, James Bond is such a cool character, and then, like, like oh, all these movies are made on, about this character, and then it's like, wait, oh, there's this guy that wrote books that... on this character. But, like, yeah, not, not even is he just an author, right? Like... There are so many, like, I mean, think Harry Potter's like J.K. Rowling. She was not a wizard. <laughs> like, No, she was not. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> no, Ian Fleming, like, he lived a lot of this stuff. And it, it's crazy that so many of his experiences either are true or, or just, like, influence the style of his writing or I, I don't know. It still blows my mind. I, I, I can't even believe it. 
Well, what's super cool and like how like you really see the translation is that there's this guy, Rear Admiral John Godfrey, the director of naval intelligence, who recruits him, who is very much M. Hmm. Okay. So like this is where kind of the idea of M comes from. And he's kind of the guy who Ian Fleming is the assistant to. Okay. Right. And they're driving the kind of intelligence stuff that they're doing at this time. And what's I think is so cool about this is that he starts with Casino Royale. You know, it's the first Bond property, you know, in 1954. We've talked about this on the Casino Royale podcast, but there is a uh, a CBS American version Jimmy Bond that they do of a version of Casino Royale on TV that isn't really successful. It kind of warbles around. And this is where we kind of get into um, the next steps, how Bond comes to the screen, right? So uh, when it comes time to make James Bond on uh, and the books, uh, Ian Fleming is turning him out, right? He's doing great. He's writing Casino Royale, Thunderball, uh, Dr. No. Uh, I think also um, – there had been a couple. There may have been a couple of other books at that time. Yeah, and a, a bunch of short stories, and yeah, I mean, yeah, mo- and he, mo- most of the ones in the Connery era were based on books, so nothing original yet, right? Like from Russia with yeah. Love and Goldfinger too. I think are books. Oh, they're all books. They're and they're all books for a long time, right? There's a lot of different versions. Uh, Ian Fleming ends up dying, you know, in I believe in 1960 some like 1964 before even the bond movies really begin to hit and be really super successful um but uh at this time there's you know two kind of directors so did you know that chitty chitty bang bang is an ian fleming albert broccoli joint no (laughs) get out of here Ian Fleming writes Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's like one of his first things that he ever does. He writes it for his kids. And he makes it with broccoli. (laughs) So they're like friendos. (laughs) And then um, during this time, the rights for the Bond movies are kind of up in the air, right? Some guy buys Casino Royale to make a movie. As we had talked about, he doesn't end up going on to make this movie until much later. And... This is because Saltzman, Harry Saltzman, buys the rights from Ian Fleming for, I think, like 50 grand. Um, He gets them and he's just holding on to them at this. While this is going on, Cubby, Albert Cubby Broccoli, as he is known, Mm -hmm. is a producer in Hollywood and he's making Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and other great movies. (laughs) And he's like, yo, man, I love these Bond books. Like, I want to make these Bond books. And he goes to his person and they're like, yo. There's this guy, Harry Saltzman. He has the rights to James Bond. Go meet with him, and then let's see what we can do. They meet. They hit it off, and the feeling is like, okay, like if we're going to make these uh, James Bond movies and, and put Bond on screen, you know, there's this movie, Doctor, there's this book, Dr. No, which really would make a very great, you know, movie for not that much money that we'd have to really invest, and let's let's go for that one. And they approach Ian Fleming, and they get the rights, and they're totally cool. They write a first-round script. The first-round script is good, but they end up going back and writing a second-round script that's much closer to the actual novel, which 
goes back to your point of like we probably should start reading the books and like <laughs> taking a look at what they're actually talking about. Yeah. And it's it's kind of awesome. So from there they go on and then they cast bringing us all the way back to one Sean Connery who comes in and they hire established director Terrence Young and uh, production designer uh, Ken Adam, and they have a fucking amazing tour de force of talent that's going to go on to make this movie. And And many to come. Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's crazy to me, um, kind of the circumstances of this movie, that, you know... I I I I would have thought originally that it was more like magic in a bottle, you know what I mean? Like that it's like a Beatles co- like thing like here's these working class guys from London who really understand how to make rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's really more of kind of what all of Hollywood is, which is backroom deals. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. I, I guess that's not too surprising, right? I mean, especially like in the 60s where like there I mean there's you, you've got big movies but you're not gonna have like i don't know it's not like you know avengers level movies now like we're the big blocks blockbusters it's just uh yeah backroom deals that makes sense <laughs> these yeah. these men all men right like all the, guys totally all, all, all guys. guys at this at this point like that's all it is and uh you know even well, the whole thing about like why they couldn't make casino royale it's like okay well let's go with dr no and like i think I think they handle it well in like stretching out the origin story, right? Like it's not, you're not like, Oh, this is like his first mission or anything, but like you're introduced to the character in a really good way. And I I think that's probably what you're, you're talking about. And like when they did the script revisions, like they, people needed to, to get him and understand what like he's all about. Well, I have I have a quandary to pose to you. I feel like this movie can be divided into two parts. The first hour is an introduction to Sean Connery. Yep. All right, and you're meeting him, you're learning his sensibilities, you're learning his bond, you're learning his moves, but you're also like establishing his moves, which is like a different thing for us to even like think about. Like if we had watched this movie first, Right. We would say he's establishing, he's making, he's producing, he's giving, he's making these things. But now, like after watching all the other bonds being emulative of what he's doing, like you can kind of see it as like, look at all these beats that they created. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I, I love it. And it just feels like, um, if it, it feels natural to watch him go through these moments but I also feel like it's not ham-fisted in the way that it could become later on. Like, my favorite example, and, like, this gets into uh, where we should head next, which is the actual plot of this movie and play the game, is uh, when they bring him his drink, it's not that Bond is ordering, I'll have a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Nope. It's that someone is bringing him, and they put it in front of him, and they say, oh, just as you asked, sir, shaken, not stirred. Uh, actually, excuse me, not stirred. Just, and, yeah, like, yeah. that is so fucking awesome. Like, that they're not they're not going after the cheap shit where, like, Dalton is sitting at the table and saying, shaken, not stirred. You know? Like, it's implied. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, some of the most iconic things that we normally think about with, 
with Sean Connery's Bond even, it, it's not here. Like that, it, it's just, I mean, he gets to drink twice and it's just very, he doesn't order it. It's just like, we know what you want because we, we've studied you. Or he, he asked him off screen or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's also like the scene with the professor where like, it's not that they have an introduction. The professor knows who he is, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, he's aware. Ah, Mr. Bond, how are you? <laughs> you know, and that brings us to the game. Okay. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the movie, Dr. No. Uh, so, I, I want to talk about um, the plot. Are we going to do the plot game to start off? We have to. Do, we have to do the plot game. We have to. We okay. Ha- um, do you want to crack at it? You want me to go? You please go because I feel like I needed to read up on it to understand it. Because <laughs> I, I, I kind of get it, but there's also like elements that are just so vague to me that it's like. I don't know how important it is, but go for it. (laughs) Well, here's my deal. So, like, I love that, like, radiation is, like, a major part of this movie. Like, it's been super fun to watch, uh, you know, them playing with, you know, the radiation hype that was in the zeitgeist at that time. So Um, Cold War. Oh, my God. It's so Cold War. But it's also, like, it. you know, it's it's funny because they don't – it doesn't I don't know how the nuclear reactor is related to the beam like that to me seemed like sketchy. But in order to play the game, we must play the game and announce the game. The game is that you must announce the plot of this James Bond movie in as few words as absolutely possible. And we are about to play that three, two, one, go. Dr. No is using a nuclear reactor to manifest a beam that can take over the launching nasa u.s rockets into low earth atmosphere in order to manipulate them and cause mass trauma and destruction bond is trying to stop this what do you think yeah i do perfect um i think it's the one extra element is bond is investigating the death of someone who was involved in ah, this. you're correct yes so it's uh it's a little flimsy i think that's what's interesting about this movie it's like the plot i guess by modern standards and like the things the sciencey science stuff that they're talking about just doesn't hold up um but like you know the rest of it along the way is just so fun and like fuck we don't see dr no for, for so long. I think he shows up at like an hour 20, which is like at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wackadoodles. It's yeah. also this guy named Joseph Weissman yep. who's playing Dr. No, who is supposed to be half Russian, half Chinese. Half German, was, half Chinese. Have, excuse me, half German, half Chinese. And he's wearing prosthesis. And a lot of the actors in this movie who are pretending to be Asian are also wearing prosthesis. And now I think we can take two seconds to say this movie is extraordinarily racist. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's listen, Uh, uh, you couldn't make this movie today 
period, but you couldn't make this movie uh you could you couldn't make this movie the way it was was you know written at that time for the screen and you couldn't make this movie feel like a regular movie because of the icons that it produced. So uh let's talk about two parts of it. First part that they're you know using prosthesis with you know regular American actors to make this work, but they're also casting you know uh Jamaican actors in a very not so PC way that we would do today. It's wrong, it's racist. Yeah. Uh they're they're portrayed as lower class, they're portrayed as drunks, they're portrayed as not really paying attention, and they're killed off willy nilly. Yeah. So yeah, it's this movie is definitely racist. We're sure to find more racist things along the way. Um, I apologize on the behalf of the racism, um, that it exists. And if it triggered you, I am very sorry. Or if it made you uh, feel offended, I'm very sorry. But I think that if you watch this movie, you're going to see that there's so much of it that informed what we come to love that it's not forgivable, but it's not the salient points of the film. Right. Well said. I, I agree with you. I think, uh, the, the the elements there are um, are bad, but um, it's uh, and it's not forgivable. But I, I I don't think it's done maliciously. I think it's just it was the times, and it was you know they they didn't a hundred percent. You know <sighs> I, I you know the uh, you know. I, do I wish that they portrayed the characters, you know, a little bit more fleshed out, that they had a little bit more advocacy? Yes. Um, do they make them, the Jamaican people, aggressors for no reason? Yeah. Uh, does it work in the movie to this day? Yes. And I think that through the lens of looking at it uh, as a product of its time, you know, I hope you can see the value in it. If not, we're sorry. And, you know, you can let us know. Um, we're not going to be focusing on that. And we wanted to mention that to say that we're acknowledging that here, but that there's a lot of other uh, parts of this movie that really lend so much to what the Bond franchise is going to become, but also who James Bond and what we're going to originate James Bond as looking like, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think is is better. And I think one of the first ways that's done is, you know, so we meet um, James Bond as he's kind of you know uh, running through Jamaica for the time period, and he's trying to go and find a uh, um, a CIA agent which he doesn't know exists, which becomes Felix Leiter, which I'm sure we'll see more of. But, you know, at the beginning, he's looking for a boat guy named Quarrel. And when he is, you know, he ultimately does become his friend. And they're ultimately, you know, buddies later on as they go. But it's very sad that he dies. Yeah. He's played by uh, John Kitzmiller. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, in uh, Live and Let Die, we have Quarrel Jr. Sure. Um, and it's implied that that's his son, um, and that he comes back and, you know, and, and finds him, which is kind of a cool callback. 
Um, yeah, it is really. I had to like double take. I was like, wait a second, did they just kill him off? That's that's horrible. And they just yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. They if we kill ever him pull, off pretty rough. I don't know if we put up a spoiler thing, but we're forty five minutes into the podcast. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Anyway, they kill him off with a, like a fire breathing dragon machine, and uh, it's it's brutal. <sighs> so now I I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, Ken Adam. Uh, Ken Adam is the production designer for many of the James Bond movies. He's I think he goes on. Uh, through Man with the Golden Gun and a couple of the other Roger Moore movies. And there's a couple where he's not there that, for your eyes only, he's not there, but I think he comes back in uh, Octopussy. Uh, Ken Adams is a super cool guy. And he made a lot of fucking really cool shit. And I'm super, like, happy that we get to talk about him now because he really kind of originates a lot of the iconography that we know of movies like throughout the world like not only is ken adams important in james bond but he informs uh what you know dr strangelove looks like he informs what you know the later james bond roger moore films look like he also goes on to inform what rod what austin powers looks like like he is the man like he really he designed strange love i'm sorry but like he really makes these iconic iconic sets and iconic uh pieces that add to the richness of james bond and like that's what's kind of cool about going back and like looking at like the team like the avengers like like yeah he's the hawkeye of of this team but hawkeye in this role he's doing a lot of lifting man like he's making these awesome huge sets the nuclear reactor set at the end of this movie is fucking awesome definitely an unsung hero um like you know you you think when when a movie gets made it's like the director the, the 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 star the uh maybe some of the executive producers that really shine but like the guys that are making the things happen just don't get the credit that they deserve. And obviously he goes on and, and is a part of the franchise for a really long time. Um, but yeah, he it, makes Moonraker. He does Adam's family values. Yeah. He does goodbye. Mr. Chips. He does a Michael Caine movie, the trials of Oscar Wilde set it all up. This is like where everything began. This is like the look and feel of, of James Bond. Is this guy yeah. here totally? And you know he, you know he he defines you know what we lampooned in the last episode. You know, like, <laughs> there yeah. is no uh, you know Doctor Evil without Doctor No. And yeah. so we talked about uh, Sean Connery a little bit. We talked about the plot. Let, let, let's talk about Doctor No. So I, in this movie, you have this dude uh, played by uh, Joseph Weitzman who is, I think, a very interesting guy and a very interestingly portrayed villain for the times in that you don't see this guy until the last third of the movie, yeah. which is very different than the way that we've experienced some of the Bond movies earlier, the Austin Power movies, uh, and the Roger Moore films. I think in the Roger Moore films, there was much more an effort to introduce the villains earlier on so that you are playing with them almost in a way where uh roger moore is 
you know, engaging with them, talking with them, working with them. And then there's a shift. And this is like you are saving this guy, this real big badass dude for the fucking meat of this movie. Yeah. it, it Like the movie changes almost <laughs> when, yeah. when we finally see him. And uh, like, I guess he's teased at one point um, when uh, the professor goes to to like report on what's going on and and he gets the the tarantula um we don't see him but we hear him and we like feel his um feel him like his machinations you know he's like this he's orchestrating so much behind the scenes of of what the plot of this movie is yeah the scene where he's in the uh the jail cell set is phenomenal oh my god uh the professor guy that's epic um where he walks in and it's lit and it's like this weird scary scene and he's like go to the table pick up the thing and there's a tarantula in there there's a scary tarantula um okay uh i don't know should we talk about uh let's talk about the ladies okay the ladies in this movie are wow uh wow 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 over there <laughs> uh okay uh you start with um, when you meet Bond, the opposing card player who loses to him. Oh, yeah. Who is, dude, she's unbelievable. And you see her, and ultimately, in the very first Bond movie, we see Bond go home to his apartment to go get his shit after he's been given a mission by M to go and investigate this uh, fallen British agent who's in Jamaica who's been wiped out mid transmitter and they're, you know, they're worried about what's going on in Jamaica. So they send bond bonds given three hours. He goes home to his place and who else is there, but this like smoking hot brunette who is playing golf in his pajamas. <laughs> and he walks in like, Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> Sylvia trench. Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's like, Oh, when do I have to leave? immediately well <laughs> almost <laughs> almost <laughs> uh yeah she's, yeah. Great. Uh, she's she's great um i also love and this is an unsung hero the girl behind the desk in the hotel he's staying at her outfits and her hair is like really awesome um mm -hmm. yeah she's fantabulous uh and then you you also have this other photographer girl who shows up oh, yeah. uh, with the the popular Jamaican band whose name escapes me at this time. And she's very attractive. But now comes the time where we talk about the origination of the Bond girl in Ursula Andress. Who, Honey Rider. Holy shit. And what an introduction she has, right? Like, it's so iconic now. But, like, in watching the movie, it's just, like, she's just there. Like, I, I think the, the funny thing is, like, I think about in Austin Powers 2 where they spoof it and they both come out in the bikini. And it's, like, the music is swelling and it's this, like, huge like, moment. Here, it's just, like, pan over. There she is. But it's, like, so – ah, it's awesome. I love it. So we should stop here. I want to stop here and say another documentary I watched on the special features this weekend – was on the restoration of these films and that they, the people who did this, the Lowry guys who did the digital restoration for the DVDs, the Blu-rays, 
um, they had the original photo negatives of the films, all of them. And that's where this box set comes from. Mm-hmm. And that they went back and they shoot um, one frame, I think, takes like uh, four times as long to capture than it would regularly. So one hour equals 100 hours. So like wow. it takes a long time with like, you know, computing power they had in the mid 2000s to kind of make these uh, products. And it's really absolutely stunning to see her coming out of the um, the water and that the way that the guys who made this scene uh, described it was like we were able to capture more colors, more vibrancy, more uh definition than anybody had seen in many many years and that this is almost an entirely new visual experience than watching what the old film had had happened to it over time which it gets deteriorated that's why the uh, bring this back episode one i think is awesome it's shot on motherfucking film yep episode two and three they're digital pieces they're separate entities and it, film will always be able, you'll always be able to go back and take better um, samples, better pictures of what the film originally had than to go back to digital. So here's to hoping that Lucas is able to come back and do special edition versions of episode two and three for Disney+. Plus. These are things I think about, you know, when I'm home alone <laughs> waiting for the parole officer to give me a call, as George Carlin would say. And... Uh, uh, so yeah, I I don't know. I, I I love the way that this movie looks. Her coming out of the ocean is phenomenal. She is a seashell enthusiast. That's that's great. Um, they uh, for the movie they piled on tons of uh, makeup onto her to make her look much darker than she appears. Yeah, more tan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it's interesting. She kind of waffles for me. The waffling is that, you know, she's this like independent lady going out and finding these conch shells, but that also, you know, once she's banished away from the dinner table with Dr. No and James Bond, like she's kind of gone till the very end. <laughs> you know, yeah. she's not. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, that's the thing with like this movie. It's like, I, I really like her and I, I like that she's along for the ride, but I kind of feel like she doesn't do all that much, which is something nope. that we won't get for a long time in the, in the bond movies. So well, we're going to have pussy galore. Pussy galore gets a lot to do, but uh, the main thing I love about uh, honey rider is that again, she's iconography. It's, it's beyond uh you know, film trope. It's beyond, um, you know, highlight reel. It's an icon. Yep. It's spoofed. People are out there making fun of this because of her. She's in Casino Royale with Woody Allen because she's Ursula Andress. <laughs> and while they were on set, Fleming came down and was there in Jamaica when they were filming these scenes. And he's like, flirting with her and there's like you know pictures of her eating dinner with the crew right next to her 
um, obviously you could see where his interests were at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, for the origination of the Bond girl, I'll say this. She's super important, and the things that she did in her way of, you know, when she meets Bond, that she's not, you know, spooning all over him, that she's not, you know, some drunk young person at a bar someplace. Yep. Like, that she's, you know, resistant to him and showing her advocacy. Like, that's super powerful and holds up to this day. And that her, you know, uh, her legacy uh, really extends beyond much of what the later bond girls will be i i I can't tell you i remember who uh you know the bond girl is in the upcoming from russia with love but i remember ursula andrus coming out of the water oh yeah oh yeah and and that's that's an an iconic scene it is um yeah and and, like at least a little while after like they she she gets a, a top she gets to put a top on and then sure. And then she changes later on. But, you know, um, but like, do you have any other favorite scenes? What scenes stuck out for you? Okay. The scene. So this is not a, an, a bond girl scene, but my favorite. Scene, yeah. We're switching topics here. Everybody. My, my, my favorite scene is when bond first goes to his hotel room in Jamaica. Mm. And he is like, casing the room and checking things out and he's like getting himself set up and like he like he takes a hair and he puts it on the the, the closet doors i think um it's just like it's just like little details like that of just setting up like how smart he is and like he's he's getting himself settled in but he's all also thinking like 30 steps ahead and that i think that seemed to me i'm like i i didn't I didn't mention it earlier, but I, I have seen this movie before, but like, because the Conneries I pretty much have only seen once I like started my mission as like a teenager. And so I probably haven't seen it till since I was like 13, 14, maybe. So it's been a long time, but I remember that scene. I, I remember him like, like working in the room and, and getting everything ready. And, um, and I think it's, it's really cool. Um, what do you have other than the, the honey rider scene. Do you have another favorite scene? Oof. Good one. Um, I, I really like the scene at the, uh, the club in Jamaica. Um, despite the violence against the women. Um, but I love the antique fenders in that scene that they had like on motherfucking purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, that band was like a very famous band in Jamaica. And that song, uh, under the mango tree went on to actually be a huge hit um, from the movie. Uh, yeah. I, I that scene was very cool to me. I loved the scene with him uh, casing the joint at the British agent's fallen house sequence. I also love the Baccarat scene in the beginning. His introduction that to me is like again iconic. Like he's sitting at the table. Like we don't see his face. We're seeing what's going on. You see the smoking hot Sophia Trench across the place and she's losing and she sucks. And then he's lighting the cigarette looking up and he's fucking Bond, James Bond. Like that's the goddamn shit. That's so good. You know, like it's it's so awesome. And up until that point, so much of this movie has also happened. You watch the uh, 
the agent get uh, smoked uh, in the thing, but that's only after this other guy has been uh, shot in the car by these Jamaican dudes, and then you I mean, go on. I don't know the, the minute mark, but, like, it's several. Like, I mean, it's at least 10, 15, because it's after the open credits, too. Like, he's not in it for a while. I, I also want to bring this in and uh, – talk about this because i think there's a lot we're going to talk about in the rating section but i think i'm going to go a little bit backwards and that i love how punchy the music is in this movie oh yeah it like when you hit that opening sequence with the james bond iconic theme they are swinging yep right like those guys are playing up tempo they're tapping their toes they know that they're about to be movie legends like and that and when you hear the theme it fucking swings like and what the fuck do me and frank say that about ever like that it it doesn't it doesn't rock it swings and you're fucking in it and you're like oh shit you want to bump the volume you're tapping your toe you're you're nodding your head and you're like, Oh motherfucker, we are in like it. <laughs> there's other versions of the bond themes or bond songs or bond music that rock. And we'll get, and we got to that, but this swings in a way that is like, you know, you put this in a big band in the forties with this kind of, um, tempo and instrumentation. Like it would still fucking rock. It would still fucking swing, man. And you'd be like, dancing and losing your shit like it's just awesome yeah it, and it, it makes the movie like I, it's it's everywhere and in all the right places it is everywhere and, yes and it, it but it doesn't feel overused because it's it's the beginning like this is w- the way it, it was and it, the way it should be um so i i agree i think maybe we need to hit our ratings because i um i, I don't want to like yeah, we got, there's stuff. other stuff to talk about. So, listen, we talked about our favorite scenes. We talked about our favorite stuff. We're going to get into the ratings portion where we talk about what we thought of these movies and how we rated it. There's other movies that we also rated. Um, Frank and I post these podcasts as movie discussions because we don't think that we're reviewing it necessarily in the way that a qualified reviewer would be reviewing it. We're just talking about it. But we do offer a rating system for the James Bond category because we thought it was necessary to see where they fell and how we felt about them. That's all. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, Frank, um, what would you say about the opening sequence? Because to me, like, we're not at the peak yet, but I think this is informing what we're about to see. Yeah. I I really like how – I so, like, just, like, the, the way the movie starts, right? The, the, the credits start to roll – and then you see the like the the circle go across the screen and it's like oh, I was like wait a second and then it's like isn't it Bar- um broccoli and saltsman first and then yeah. after that it it goes and you get the the gunshot and it's like holy shit that is that was actually really cool um and the weird uh theremin music with it is super funky yeah it is funky um obviously this movie doesn't have a theme song Nope. Um, you're right. Like the, the the theme song is the theme is the theme, and so but it I I like the the credits and it's a it's a Maurice Binder um, sequence that he comes back and does so many of them. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just feel like the movie 
it, it, it kind of like rolls into itself, right? Like the credits finish up and it's like, oh, oh, we're starting. Great. Okay. I'm paying attention now. Like what's happening? And again, I, th- I think because there's no cold open. Right. It, it The fact that like I, I would say the cold open is everything before he says Bond, James Bond. And ooh, right. Yeah. And so, like, that's just like building up all this. Like, we were waiting to see the guy. We want to see, and and it's you're you're laying the groundwork of the plot. You're there's no like epic sequence where someone's jumping out of a plane, but like we are we're about to go on a journey, and I, I think that's why it's awesome, and that's why I gave it a ten. Um, what do you say? I say ten because up until Goldfinger. We don't get the proper Bond opening, right? We're not going to get it in From Russia With Love. It originates in, in Goldfinger. But this movie, it doesn't start out with just, you know, some dead guy off screen or on screen even. And then, like, you know, think about, like, Young Frankenstein, how that movie opens where the, you know, the old guy opens the casket and then you get the book and then, you know, boom, we're into the credits. Like, we're not on, like, some like dead person we watch them die in a feat of action that is like oh my god this is horrendous what's happening now yeah what are we gonna do and then you're into it and you're hooked you're immediately hooked so and because of the way that this originates the cold open action scene i also gave it a 10 um yeah i i feel like this is uh hugely important to the future of action films to the future of film as we know it and this movie is like a it's a historical document, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's like a it's a template. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. I mean, all the iconography, like you take so many. So things we have different, you. so we have different thoughts about the plot here. <laughs> I can see on the screen. Yeah. So, so to me, like wh- I gave this movie an eight in the plot. And the reason I did was because bond always has some kind of timely element to it. And at the time in 1962, you're four years after Sputnik um, and the U.S. is in the thick of what's, you know, the space race at that time, which was it still very much was a race. Oh, sure. You know, uh, they weren't really the race really hadn't switched until you get to Apollo where the U.S. is launching rockets that are going to the moon like Russia never made it that far. But in, in 1962, when you're dealing with Mercury and, uh, you know, Gemini, like those first round missions, like you're dealing with some high stakes, incredibly competitive space launches. And I appreciate the way that they tied that in. I also appreciated the way and they incorporated like North American or, or American U.S. news that the way that Miami or the new, the networks would have been covering uh the launches is is very realistic to me. The only thing that would have made it better is had they gotten the actual tie-in from a network to say like, oh, like it's NBC and this is our guy, <laughs> or if it's or if it's yeah. CBS or ABC, that I think would have made it a little bit uh, more iconic to me. But uh, and, and not in, to deal with the rating at all. But the the fact that they went after this kind of subject matter. To me, I don't understand why he's shooting the beam at the rockets. Like, is he trying to control them to drive yeah. them other places? Is he trying to blow them up? 
that's what you're trying to do. That's where I'm lost. That's where it loses me. Um, and that's, I mean, I think you said you gave it an eight. I gave it a seven. Uh, because I'm there for the the Cold War tensions of uh, nuclear war. I'm there for the space race element. I'm there for watching Bond, uh, you know, track down this killer in this whole situation and, like, claw his way to getting to Dr. No and get to his lair and like all of that's great but like when when they're trying to shoot this radio beam i'm like what the fuck are they talking about <laughs> like this does it's literally mumbo jumbo so um it's it just that part doesn't hold up for me but i think uh i think the movie like held my attention i i, I really yeah so seven's not terrible but it's just like no it's it, not yeah. it's it's definitely on the positive end of things so I think where we both land squarely together is that Q is not in this movie yet. Yep. We don't see the gadgets. The reason this get this movie for me gets a five and not a below five score, like a four, three, two, or a one, is that you do see Bond change his gun. And I really like this scene. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> like this scene is like, it's first of all, it's awesome to see Bernard Lee back again. Yeah. Right. We love him. But we also I love the way that he's kind of working with Bond and like changing Bond's uh, M.O. In a, in, in a big way where he's like, all right, so you carry the Beretta and Bond's like, yeah. And he takes the Beretta out and he's like, you know, um, shows it to them. And they're like, all right, so, you know, you got shot back at. We want you to switch to the Walter P- Walter PPK and that this is going to be our your, your new iconic weapon. Um, and the way that they do it is that Bond is super hesitant to it and that Connery is like, I don't really want to do this. I like the Beretta. I haven't missed. Like, it's a, you know, it's a decent weapon. And they're like, no, no, no. We need you to start shooting to kill. Yeah. It's, and, it's so good. I love the origin story of the gun. I didn't remember it at all. And I'm like, this is this is so interesting. I love this like back and forth that they're having. And like he's hesitant to do it. But like, obviously, he sticks with it and he adapts. And it's it's great. It felt very. Uh, what do you call it? Um, Batman esque in that like it, it gives you reason to understand why this happened kind of like gordon you know showing uh batman the bat signal for the first time or him showing him the joker card where it's like hey you gotta go deal with this now you know and like you gotta go you know deal with these causes you know and this is this is why and when i watched the documentary they were talking about how they designed all of the iconic bond suits and like there's i mean we would be remiss without talking about how awesome the suits are in this fucking movie yeah i mean that we never had a category for like fashion but i think it kind of fits in the the gadgets area right like it's it's a a physical element that uh you know makes the movie what it is and in the absence of like a true bond car and Q and like a whole bunch of gadgets like yeah his look is established. His like he gets his gun and the tux at the, the tux, beginning, uh, the gray suit, like the dark gray suit. Um, the uh, the what's he wearing at the end where he's in like the he's in like some other kind of outfit at the end. 
like it, it's it all just works so well and and when you see the beetle suits like they're i thought they would have been tighter fitting but when you watch the doc you see that the guys like we had to give space to conceal bond's gun yeah so they're a little bit bigger on the top than they are on the bottom and with connery's build it works right like because totally. even because even you think about craig like the suits that Craig is wearing are so tight <laughs> and, and like, they're just like so fitted. Uh, like it's amazing that we don't see his gun. Cause you could see his whole fucking uh, side, you know, within the arm inseam of the suit. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. But I, I, I love the look. I love the gun. Sto- I love the gun origin story. I love that he was resistant to it. You know, it's interesting to note that he was just like not this perfect pupil of uh, MI6. That he's kind of this rebellious guy who's like, yeah, they'll give me this gun, but I'm gonna also take uh, my old gun because I want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, we both gave it gave it fives. I think it's just missing some of the sure the stuff that will become iconic um, later on. Um, so Bond girls. Um, we address this. She's a ten. Yeah, I, I for a moment, like I was gonna, Bo I was gonna knock her, knock her down because she's not, uh, she doesn't have as much to do. But like, she's like the most iconic Bond girl of all time. I can't not give her a ten. <laughs> she's it. She's, she's it. everything that comes after that is influenced by her. Right. She's in the goddamn spoof. She's it. Yep. That's the Bond girl. She's and, the Bond girl. And you know, it's interesting to see her play so innocent, but also have the understanding that when she's dismissed from the table and bond doesn't want to deal with her anymore, that she knows that like bad shit is coming and that she's like smart enough to realize, like, I do not want to leave the situation. Like I'm here, I'm safe with you. Like you're going to protect me when I'm out there alone. Like it's a whole different story. I really liked that kind of, uh, scene in a way, despite how sexist that sounds. And I, I just really, I, I appreciated her iconography in this in this movie a lot more than I thought I would, and 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 I appreciate what she did, and and I'm thankful that, um, I'm thankful that she did it. I'm thankful that it was her. Cause, also, cause otherwise, what would we have had? Yeah, absolutely. Also, the other element that I, I want to call out is this is the first time we see Lois Maxwell as Money Penny, Ugh. and it's awesome, and she's gorgeous and they have she's great, she's great uh that great scene chemistry. is really wonderful um lois maxwell you know was thrown the the uh opportunity through broccoli and was like broccoli was like hey what do you think of playing honey rider wow and she's like you know no i like this money penny thing i think i could do better and broccoli's like yeah i'll get you in more films and she did it that's it that's the whole reason. Boom. And that's she, it. And she stuck with it for 20 years. Plus. But she's she's epic. Yeah. She's okay, like we talked about Ursula Andress. Uh Money Penny in this movie is hot. She's hot. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you see her throw the hat on the hat rack. See him throw the hat on the hat rack. And sit right next to her and flirt with her, but she's not as we saw in the the Roger Moore films where it becomes more like mom and dad. You know, she's like, yeah, you don't take me on these kind of dates. You don't ever dress up like this when we hang out. Like, 
and I liked the attitude from her. I yeah. liked that she's um, uh, aware that Bond's out there hooking up and she's not. And to me, that felt like a really good, more casual office kind of repartee than it becomes with Roger Moore, where it's so overtly sexual, but it's also so like um, innuendo to the point of like, we know that they're never going to fuck and they never have <laughs> fucked yeah. and they're not going to fuck where it's like this point. It's like, maybe they're fucked. Maybe they could fuck. Who knows? Maybe they could. Why not? Um, yeah, I totally feel you on that. Um, all right. We got to talk about this next one. Cause I, I want to hear why you gave him a nine and not a 10. Dr. No. Dr. No. I've been practicing this for three days. It's funny. As we're watching him, uh, I was like, he sounds almost like Peter Cushing in some scenes. Like the way he He does delivery. Yeah. Um, That that was interesting to me. I, hmm. Why did I give him a nine and not a 10? I, I liked him. I liked that he isn't revealed until the very end. I love his like prosthesis hands. I just think his, his like plan sucked, <laughs> you know, like yeah, his I, plan is okay. It's it, not so great. It's I'll not so that. great. And like he, um, he does the Dr. Evil, like I'm going to put you in a precarious situation that you'll easily escape from. Like, come on guy. Like just like kill the guy. If you, if you want to get rid of him, like it just doesn't make like, Oh, I want, why don't you soften him up? I'm not done with him yet. Like, I sure. So like, uh, it just, that stuff just didn't work. And like, I guess again, um, when we talk about the villains that we love, like we get more of their like motivations and backstory where it's just like, he's just, he's already super rich. And he's doing all this. Why? Just for more power? I don't know. It's just he's just evil for evil's sake. Yeah. I don't know. That that's that's where I land with him. So, okay. So you're right, and and those are like some real fucking points, right? Like, uh, and we talked about this earlier. What's his fucking plan once he has the rockets control? Or why do we need radio? Uh, why do we need nuclear energy to capture? one of these rockets with some kind of a beam. It's all very loose, right? Yeah. But that kind of looseness, I think, plays into something that you don't get in Bond villains going forward. That, like, the kind of air that they put into him to say, like, we're not going to fully explain what's going on here. You're going to have to kind of take some leaps of faith to kind of see what's going on, but we know that it's bad. That I kind of dug in a way where Mm -hmm. it's almost like we don't even get his full plan but we know that it's evil and despite whatever is actually happening regardless of whether bond knows this or not like he's got to be stopped and and i kind of appreciated that i also appreciated to bring back a long recurring element on the podcast the talkie talkie scene in front of the aquarium is also iconic uh it, it it's it's weird, you know, we've seen so many movies growing up when we did where the lampooning of the villain explaining their plan to the good guy is lampooned at this point. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's become a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not even it's not even an inside joke anymore. And the idea that he's going to announce 
not what he's going to do with the Rockets, but announce the secret organization that he's in. Oh, yeah. And he's... introduce Spectre. Like, wow. I mean, talk about world building. Like, that's how you set up a franchise. That was iconic. I did love that moment. It's like, oh, they, they name dropped it. <laughs> like, They're it, going it, there. They're starting it you know, from here. Sequels. In a way that Daniel Craig's Bond could 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 never like, and and that's what made me sad to think about. Ah, oh, there's a movie called Spectre. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like the idea that um, the main villain of your first movie is gonna explain the general premise of what your global secret organization is all about, and be like willing to disclose that information and and like not only that but like think that you're so not a threat to him that he can just say this to you is 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 wackadoodles and when this movie you know comes out like i don't know if they thought that this was going to be the automatic huge success that it was going to be i'm sure that they thought it was a gamble like anything else right like star wars they the guys who were working on star wars thought that movie was going to fail oh, they were like course. this is bullshit well, uh, and the other thing is, I think um, that Spectre is not mentioned in the Doctor No book. It's mentioned later, and so they put it in this movie, like with, I think, some foresight, or or at the very total least, foresight. Like, at the very least, like, oh, we could maybe spin this out into serials, right? Like that would be cool. Like other bad guys from this organization. Why not? If you're going to have this one good guy have the same, like, organization, like, just, like, the counter. The <laughs> yeah, totally. And and you see him, and he's, like, totally happy about it. And then this brings me into the, the next category, which is the physical antagonist. So I'm curious to know. I don't think that From Russia With Love, I think you have the bad, evil lady and, like, a crazy Aryan-looking Russian guy. And he's kind of the birth of the physical antagonist. Yeah. But this movie, they hadn't figured out that you need to separate the physical antagonist and the main villain brain into two separate characters. Totally. And you have what would become a Bond, you know, cliche, which was that the physical antagonist would have some sort of uh, metallic and or bionic functionality to them. Yeah. Right? Or like, deformity think of Jaws. or something. Yeah. Totally. And and this is really the origination of that, and that Doctor No has prosthetic hands from working with radiation. Now, a couple of things on this: we don't ever get to see the hands uh, in their metal form. We don't get to see them do anything really other than than crush something in the iconic scene. Um, and you don't get a full. Um, I think if they had made this movie third or fourth, you'd have a scene in the beginning of the movie where he's crushing something with his hands, like oh, somebody's yeah. skull Jeez, or something. Even if you don't see him, right? You see, like, yeah. uh, like Inspector Gadget, right? Like his, like, the claw. Claw. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think he is the physical antagonist because he is that iconic. Um, he fits the mold up for us, but, like, Obviously, he fights other dudes along the way, other henchmen, and like, but no one else. It, it, there's no number two, right? Like, there's nobody that. No, and, and and that is, um, I think interesting. And the reason why for me I gave it a ten is because like, who else is is both to Bond, and it's interesting to see his like, 
his film, you know, origination start out with having to face both at the same time that, you know, there is this evil genius, crazy guy who is also could totally kill you with his hands. Do I think the way that he dies is fair? No. Yeah. I think it's very possible. They were thinking they would bring this guy back and that's why he dies off screen in the way that we don't see his face die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, so I gave it a nine similar to the villain because I just, it, it just left me wanting a little more. I'm like, I would have liked to have like, they have a fight scene, but it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not, not as awesome as we've seen in the later movies. Right. With the, the tension building fight scene or, or yeah. Or like they could have fought earlier and then had this one, right? If this was the, okay, this is where you die scene, but they had like an iconic one where he was, you know, squeezing his arm or like squeezing his throat with his prosthetic, that would have been like, boom, 10 for me. Um, and I agree. It is kind of a bummer that he just gets dispatched the way he does. It would be so cool if that, if back then they said like, yeah, we're going to make have him come back or have him come back and be super deformed even further. Or like, I don't know. That. So just from a radiation safety officer certifi- certified person that I am, you're actually safer in the water than you are outside of the water. Huh. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> See, that's what they don't know back then. Um, the plastic suit is what makes it for me. That's the Dr. Evil suit. That's yeah. where they get Dr. Evil. He's Dr. Evil. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Bond performance. I'm so excited to talk about this. Frank, you gave it a 10. Yep. Give me your explanation. We get the suit. We get the line. He gets his drink. We see him playing cards. He, while we don't have an iconic car, we do see him driving and like, you know, escaping people through a car. We get to see him use his wits to escape a jail cell. We get to see him set up that, the, the hotel room. Like I talked before, he talks the talk and walks the walk all the way. And he's super handsome I don't know, man. Like, he's just, he's the guy. And this is his, like, he starts out and he goes swinging and it's just the best. (laughs) It's so awesome. Um, He's, (sighs) the things that he gets to do in this movie, and and a lot, again, uh, through watching the documentary, you learn is, like, informed by this director, Terrence Young. Um, I think that that's really awesome that you had kind of, what became Sean Connery's portrayal kind of be guided a little bit. You know, I, I think that maybe coming into this, I would have thought, Oh shit. Like, you know, he's coming up with this all on his own. He's reading the books or he's looking at this stuff. No, 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 no. It's the director. The director is informing where this is going to go, where he's going to take it, where he's going to get to the new points that Sean Connery was inherently funny. Right. And the way that he quipped with Terrence Young and the dark humor aspects of it goes on to inform so much of the Bond character going forward, period. You know, like that he had seen he had interacted the scene with. uh, uh, Where they fall down, the the car rolls over the cliff. They. Oh, yeah. That line where he's like, oh, they're on their way to a funeral. Like that was informed by Connery's performance. Yeah. Um, and, and that's super cool. And without this movie, there is no other James Bond. You know what I mean? They, this movie had to be the successful, phenomenal hit that it was in order for there to be more. So 
I'm giving this a 10. Yep, me too. And then legacy, continuity, moment, relevancy. For me, this starts and ends with the idea that it's so lampooned. This movie is so lampooned in Austin Powers, the first one. <laughs> and the second one. Sure, yes. Um, it, yeah. It, this is the, it is interesting. Like, I remember back in when I first was uh, going through and it was like, okay, I want to watch all the Bonds. Like, for Dr. No to be, like, the start, it just doesn't feel like like the name of the movie. It's not like James Bond in or um, obviously it's not the first book, but this is the one that they started with. But, like, in it, it has so much of the iconography that has just lasted the test of time um and it it felt relevant to the to the the times that it was made and um yeah i I think it's one that people remember like if you're gonna like go back and watch a a sean connery if you've never seen him it's like all right start at the top like go with dr no you're not gonna miss out and it's it's great no i i feel you so keep rocking and rolling over here so let's take a look at uh the special effects where we both agree that there are nine. I think the reason we both agree that there are nine is because they hold up. They do. It looks like a regular movie. And it, it, it they're not doing crazy stuff with models at this point. They're not doing crazy explosions. They are not using you know other kinds of crazy optical effects of lasers or beams or other stuff like this. It's literally very physical and, and it's, realistic. It's tactile. It's... And I mean, I think it's because the budget wasn't super high and they, you know, the fact that like they, they shot on uh, location in Jamaica and everything looks so beautiful and they were able to really make the movie pop without having to do a lot, you know, um, but like the sets look great where, where they needed to. And um, I, oh, I'd be remiss to not talk about his fucking awesome lair like i want yeah. that lair like you get in you take that like the elevator up and then it opens up and to like what's it called it's like k it's um, some something key it's uh crab key crab key yes crab key ugh, such a so great i mean it, it again this is something that would influence like dr evil's volcano lair and his like moon base and everything it's just but it's cool. It's got, you know, it, it feels like lived in and he's got the big uh, fish tank thing and the just, I don't know. It's great. Um, so moving along to our last category, the score and the song. We're not quite as aligned, but yeah, um, I, I think so. I gave it a nine. I, I just love the music. I, it's just so good. Um, this, you know, the, the theme song, the score, it's used in such like perfect ways. It's like what I want every other time we're watching Bond. I'm like, I don't care. I just want it to be the Bond theme. <laughs> like, no, like, I feel you. Did it, did it. Like just like kicking at the right moment. And they do that here. Um, the only reason I don't give it a 10 is because there's no like iconic song. I mean, they've got the, the mango tree thing going on, but it's, you know, fine. What about you? Why did you give it an eight? Yeah, I gave it an eight because of the exact same reason that it was, uh, it, it felt um, very binary to me. It felt like we were either getting the Bond theme as 
the theme of the entire movie. Or you're having this other like Jamaican song that's being played over and over and over again. And I'm I'm glad that that song went on to become a hit, but I don't love it when that's like the only song in a movie. Yeah. And the, and that there's like that the movie is ob- like like <laughs> this is a really deep pull. There's a movie I love from the 80s called Critters. All right, it's a rated R movie about aliens from space that are little furry guys with crazy teeth that eat up people. And there's a movie that they were launching with that uh there's a song that they were launching with that film called Power of the Night. And at every point in the movie, whenever anybody turns on the TV or turns on the car or goes for a ride or listens to the radio, they hear the power of the night. And I don't love that the mango tree has the same kind of omnipresence as that song does. It's kind of weird, right? Like, it's, it, Yeah, it, it's, it's bizarre. It's one thing for it to be played by the band, but then for several people to be singing it throughout. Yeah, I, I, it's, just, I don't it's, buy it. It's bizarre and kooky. Yeah. Um, but what I why this movie is so awesome is the way that the the bond theme swings at this time like we had spoken about earlier that it really does move with a different tempo and uh presence and punchiness that the other movies do not have or did not incorporate to a certain extent and while i like that version for this movie i don't know if it's like it's not my favorite Bond theme. It's not my favorite Bond music. And it's just like, I would have loved another instrumental theme of, you know, Bond on the beach or something iconic. The way that you hear um, the other music that that's portrayed in the, the Roger Moore movies, the way that you hear the music portrayed in the, uh, the Daniel Craig movies, I would, I would say, especially that, you may have the theme that you're working off of, but there's always a secondary theme. There's always a, a rising tension or an action theme. And it d- definitely gives you kind of a good variance. This movie felt like it was either the James Bond iconic theme or this dopey song that I didn't love. Yeah. And that's kind of where I land on it. That's why it's an eight. Yeah. But uh, even still with that. Well, the last thing I'll say about the music, I, when, I popped in the disc. I was like, something sounds weird. I don't know if you noticed this, but like the music, uh, the score in in the the, the menu was like, this sounds like it's like down a few keys. And then like the movie popped on and it went up and I was like, oh, this feels right. I was like, I don't know why that was the case, but um, I was like, I was worried for a second. I was like, is this movie going to feel like dopey and down like Bond theme? Anyway, it, uh, <laughs> Obviously, we both really like this movie. Uh, totaling yours, you get a 90. Totaling mine, 88. Um, I think our main difference is just surrounding Dr. No himself. Like, his his uh, plan, his, you know, presence and his, you know, physicalness. But otherwise, we're pretty much in agreement here. Yeah, I mean, the the fight, the introductory fight scene outside of the car with James Bond landing those punches like that's i mean that's our guy the the gun barrel sequence regardless of the music that's our dude the theme that's it the the musical uh interlude opening sequence like there's so many of the ingredients that make fantastic bond here and i'm so excited that we were starting this part of the franchise i'm so excited that we made it here that we're Onto this really fun part. I'm so excited for the next episode. It's going to be really awesome. Yep. 
Um, and thank you, Frank, for tolerating all of this crazy trivia and, you know, Dude, my I love crazy it. nuttiness. It, it, this was a good one. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll be back. Uh, we're going to keep rolling with, with James Bond. Uh, the next film is from Russia with love. So go watch that now. Um, not this moment, but you know, whenever you get the chance before yeah. that, listen to the next episode. Um, just also to call out. There's been a few new trailers for No Time to Die. Um, oh, yeah, sure. So, uh, go check those out. There was a, like a full trailer maybe two weeks ago, and then I, I saw something like yesterday or two days ago that was more focused on Rami Malek's uh, villain character. Um, hey. So, yeah. We're... This movie seems to be going a little man with the golden gun. It Do you does get that vibe. I, it, uh, honestly, it also gives me very Doctor No vibes. Like he's, uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what what everything shakes out to be with with that movie. Whenever it comes out, um, you know that that movie hasn't been pushed yet, uh, while others have surrounding it. So we'll see. Um, but thank you all for listening in to this ep- week's episode of the Long Lost P- Heroes podcast. Um, as always, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Please subscribe and rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate that. Um, you can email us at info at longlostheroes.net, and you can visit our website at www.longlostheroes.net. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at LLH Podcast. Um, anything else for you tonight, buddy, on Dr. No or Sean Connery or James Bond? I'm, I'm good, my friend. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to the next from Russia, from Russia with love. <laughs> I've been practicing saying Dr. No, Doc, Dr. No, because I think I could say doctor, but where you lose it is the no part. <laughs> yeah. His, his, uh, his, his delivery and his accent is just perfect i love it Ugh. and and he he has a receding hairline in this movie already like it's oh uh, i can't but, wait to talk about the hair we'll talk about the hair the next episode <laughs> all right everyone thank you so much and we will we'll catch you next week Bye.